You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. I get freaked out about every improv show I do two, two to three days before. Is that true? Yeah, that's why I think I try to process it visually. I make a lot of like promotions and stuff to sort of like set my brain as being like, okay, going into this show, like what, how am I going to, I guess it's probably like a good luck charm yeah. to be like going into this performance. Uh, what is it already looking like in my brain? You're listening to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Charlie Nicholson. So happy to be here. Thanks for being here. That's very interesting. I'm, I, you seem so confident when you perform. I'm surprised. I guess now that you say it, I'm not that surprised because you're confident, but you're also so thoughtful. And every show that you do, um, like you have a very specific style of play that's all your own, but you also bring something very specific to every different show and so so I guess it makes sense that you're so thoughtful that it takes you days beforehand to like process it and think about it I didn't know that that's why you do so much artwork around the shows too that's very interesting yeah like I said it's like a way to process and and prepare but I think like during the show I think my main goal probably every time that I'm on stage or performing is to make it be different mm. make it be what, what can I do that I haven't done before uh, where can I go on the stage that I haven't been before? What piece can I touch? Or who haven't I played with? Or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Megan, uh, uh, like, will look at, she'll remind herself about relationships from real life that she just hasn't seen on stage or has never done. And she kind of has, like, an ongoing mental tally. And sometimes when you play with her, she'll pull out a relationship just for the novelty of it to see what happens, which I love do you do anything like that? Do you like, do you, do you pre think about stuff that you haven't done or is it more the thing of like, how have I not moved on stage or, or, or in this particular performance, what part of the stage have I not been on? It cycles through and I think it, they sort of rack up in terms of like, where am I recently? What have I done recently? Uh, I feel like there was a while, like a year ago when I was trying to bring a lot of my real relationships into scenes and so I would I'd initiate like two specifically to my sister mm. or I would initiate a scene to my stepmother and say like, uh, these are my feelings. These are, this is how I'm feeling about you right now. And then expect, almost like expect that, that, that my scene partner would by the nature of that initiation be sort of possessed with some piece of that person mm. and then just continue to look for that in that person. Mm. But recently, it's less uh, relationships. I'm less looking for bringing my own history of relationships onto the stage, and more uh, trying to be do something physical or be somewhere on stage, and then figure out what that means mm-hmm. once I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to do a lot of kind of embodied objects or. Uh, things that don't usually talk and mm. figure out what the relationship is between those things now that they can. So is that towards the end of your run with 
Deep Queens, that must have been uh, a fun thing to get to work on then because that seemed to be such a part of the fabric of the show. Yeah, I I love the Medusa. I took that class with Nick. Yeah. And it was just, it was incredible. There's like this like wild, um, everyone's part of the same group and everyone is like, it's like a briar patch of like overgrown stuff that's just continually trying to like grow together. Yeah. And the funny thing about that show is that, is that with the Medusa, because you are often playing objects and then you're switching in to play people, it's hard to play objects in that show more than it would be like in a Herald or in a montage. Cause you want to very definitively make a difference between being part of the set or being part of a part of the room or something that someone is carrying and then being an active participant. But it definitely puts you in the position of being a conscious piece of the scenery Mm -hmm. because the amazing part of that show is you're never sidelined and you're never um, outside of what's going on. Yeah. You are very like an important conscious piece of every scene that's going on, whether or not you're speaking or moving or just sitting there from a very specific upside down vantage point. Yeah. Or not, not even facing the action that's going on and trying to listen as hard as you can. Yeah. To figure out what is going on. I love like um there have been scenes like in blackout shows where people will play the entire scene with the back to the audience. I, I remember a scene from years ago with Desiree Nash and, and Rob Penty. I, I'm pretty sure it was those two where the whole scene was like them in a movie theater, but their back was to the audience and they were watching the screen on the back wall. Yeah. I love that. And it, it just, it, it's so exciting to watch. And it, it is the thing of consciousness. Like, one of my criticisms of improv in general is the way that that people, when they're not in a scene, will kind of hang out on sidelines and forget about the fact that even though you're hanging out, you're still a deliberate, conscious element of this experience that everybody's having. Yeah. And when you're not being conscious, it gives the opportunity for you to like fidget and, and for you to kind of half be alert to what's going on and kind of half be in the future and think about what you want to do. And not that it's the end of the world, but there's just a totally different sense of presence when there's a commitment on a group's part to be conscious every moment, whether you're, whether you're the star of the action or not to be present. And, and and it, it can be the difference between an experience that is funny versus an experience that is a little bit more kind of, um, theatrical or whole, I almost don't want to use that word because it doesn't. Which one? Theatrical. Theatrical, or but but it, like we were talking before the before this conversation about um, ambiguity. Yeah. And um, you and I both have a shared passion for ambiguity, for good ambiguity. I mm-hmm. would qualify. I get frustrated by things that are ambiguous because it's clear that nobody really has a point of view, you know, and so you just make it like vague or ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But I love it when. I'm left as an audience to feel how I feel about something. I love it when I'm, I'm, when I'm guided into a, into a performance or a show or a story and, and guided into it to care about what's going on, but where I'm free to kind of notice what I notice and I'm free to be moved how I'm moved. And it's not kind of yeah. determined for me what I should be taking from it. I think that kind of ambiguity comes from two very specific point of views, points of view that are very persuasive. Mm-hmm. 
in each in their own right. So you agree with both, mm-hmm. and then you don't know who you, who you agree with. Yeah, and you agree with both, and you agree in, agree with neither, and yeah. then, and then you're left to go home and you know argue with your audience mate who you came with about uh, which one should win. Yeah, <laughs> and neither one should. I guess they should continue to live the life that was happening on stage forever in your mind. That's ambiguity. That's good for me. I agree. And that's where like, that's where not to be like overly lofty about it. And we're kind of moving away from like pure comedy right now, but that's where a work of art, I think can be such an important, um, uh, outgrowth of your own life versus something that's, kind of programmatic or, or, or a work of art that is more about getting you to take sides or, or more about proving its point Mm -hmm. because like where you need help in life, I don't think you need help in being more convinced that you're right about the things that you're convinced you're right about. Oh yeah. And I don't think you need help in being angry about the things that you're angry about or being sad about the things that you're sad about. But I think you need help in life in the ambiguous moments where you just don't know what to do and there isn't a prescribed answer that's where you need the kind of um added energy of knowing that you're not in it alone you're not the only person who doesn't know what road to take or how to respond or how to treat somebody or what choice to make and and that's where like a work of art can really be a meaningful part of your experience not that it provides a resolution for it but that it frames ambiguity itself as as something that you're not going to overcome that it's okay. You can live in that tight balance between two points of view that both are contradictory and also make perfect sense and are totally right. Agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, A couple of things I want to talk about your style as a, as an improviser and your style as an actor that I've always been curious about. Um, I'm curious, like what goes through your head in certain shows because you'll do things that are so spontaneous and so exciting. And I wonder how much you've kind of worked out beforehand, how far you're going to go with it or how much you kind of dive into a choice and just kind of see where it's going to lead you. Who knows? Yeah. I, uh, what do you, what do you like? What, what, like what makes you feel ecstatic and alive and excited when you're performing? Well, I've been thinking about this recently in preparation for this podcast. Uh, what is my favorite thing to to do or see yeah. on stage? And there is this thing that happens with another performer. And he, I mean, you talk about this in your class about like making eye contact and like seeing each other, which is a, a part of listening, um, which is important. But there's this other thing that happens when you're really looking at someone and you're doing a scene with them, and it's like their their eyes their eyes are like more sparkly or more wet, and there's something animal like behind there that is like scary and uh, but like exciting um and it's not it's not like a threatening thing and it's not like a necessarily like nice thing mm-hmm. but it's like definitely exciting um and that's my favorite to find that to yeah. like uh and, and and like as an actor sometimes you can get that and as a comedian, you can sometimes get that by like making a, doing something like to really get the attention of, of your scene partner or your, or your team. But, but that 
big move doesn't have to be necessarily crazy or loud. It could also be like very uh, sweet yeah. or very gentle or um, surprisingly vulnerable. Yeah. So I guess I'm looking for that in other people's eyes. Yeah. Catching that glint. I think of that as just like the spark of life. I, I, yeah. I kind of think of that as like the most precious thing on stage is when you catch that spark of life and then you have to do everything that you can to protect it and encourage it to, to kind of catch fire a little bit. Yeah. I like the way that you said too, that it's not always like a nice thing. There, like there can be a kind of like meanness to it sometimes, or like it has teeth to it. It, it. And that's part of the excitement of it or the electricity of it is that, is that being a spark of life, it's not necessarily the reassuring thing. Sometimes it's really the crazy thing, but it's the thing that feels organic and, and, yeah. and, and not, pre-rehearsed or pre-worked out or pre-determined. It's the thing that carries you away together. Yeah, I get carried away. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that every show that I do, every show that I see, something is being accomplished. Like uh, something between those people is, is like really getting done. Um, and they're bringing, they're creating another piece of their story together on stage, right? Yeah. So if you like take a team and stack every show up back to back, cut out all the, all the time in between all that, you know, like 20, more than 23 hours. That'd be if you had a show every day, but like the whole week and you just take those shows and put them end to end, you'd get some kind of progression. Like Mm -hmm. you're going somewhere. And even within the show, it's like there's one or many things that are getting accomplished. And I really like to watch shows and think about shows afterwards in that way. Like what were we, what did we touch on? What did we, um, move, like, how did we move forward here? We had this, like, time where we were completely open in a blank space to build something. So what did we build? Yeah. Do you have, like, a point of view as to, as to what you, how do I phrase this question exactly? Do you have a point of view as to what you're trying to express when you're on stage? Oh, yeah, so me. Yeah. Um, That's fair enough. I, for for me, because like I, I'm the kind of performer where I enjoy if I can get people laughing and entertained at like small things. That's kind of where I'm at my happiest. That's why I do so many yeah, driving you always, scenes. You do always talk about uh, the pop, that popcorn scene where you put popcorn in the microwave and yeah. push the button and wait for two minutes in silence for it to pop. I love that. I love that stuff. <laughs> I love it. And if, if, if I can keep people entertained for two minutes while they're waiting for me to wait for popcorn, I'll and do it can. every time. Yeah. I, I think you totally can. If there's something going on inside of you, if they're interested in you, if you know what I mean? Like if they, if there's something recognizable, I love that, that, that idea of letting like the supposedly boring everyday stuff take on this other quality of like excitement to it or interest. And, and I guess that like part of pursuing that for me, similar to what you just said is, um, kind of like getting to know myself a little better in a way. Like I, I, I don't, I don't go out before shows and th- like think about like this is what I want to say or this is what I want to be heard from me. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 I do try to be as honest as I can on my better days, 
and 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 then you kind of find that you said things in a funny way or you did things in a funny way that that kind of like uh, another piece of the puzzle about like what's going on in my brain has just kind of like come up yet hmm. i don't know sometimes i i think that like it's kind of nothing more interesting in a person's life than putting together your own puzzle and yeah. seeing the picture that's on it yeah and you kind of like find other people that you can work with and i think that it's both extremely selfish and but also very kind of altruistic because you find other people that you can work with that you can help they can help you put together your puzzle and you can help them put together their puzzle and, and that's kind of how i feel about stuff is like we're helping each other put together our puzzles i don't know does that sound shitty and self-centered no and i love puzzles so yeah. i like the metaphor um Yeah, I mean, I love going into shows and thinking, like, I really want to, um, like, really, to the deep part of a person, make them feel really good. Yeah. Um, and I, I really want to, like, give the, uh, the experience, not only, I guess, not only to the cast, but also to the audience of, like, this was really good and fun. Yeah. And, like, a good choice that we came to see this show, or we came to do this, or we turned it up tonight. Um and that's, I guess, like part of like putting yourself together is feeling like this is important and good. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes part of like that feeling put together is totally forgetting myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same for other people, but a lot of times I'm in a show and I see it as like, if I'm in a cast of eight people, it suddenly becomes a cast of seven people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like a non-entity that's like there. And... Um, and I'm like figuring out ways to like, as a spirit, I mean, you know, I'm like very into like, I've probably done far too many Ouija board scenes and fairy scenes and like uh, fairy tale scenes that you've seen. But that's what I love is like, there's a sense of like, like magic, like bringing people together. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, I love that. I love sort of being non, not human. Yeah. I, um, I get that sometimes too where I find myself in the middle of a show and then it suddenly occurs to me that I'm not monitoring how I feel about anything. Mm, that's good. I, I think it is good too. I, I've noticed in bad shows I'm very preoccupied with how I feel. Yeah. And then in in in, in other shows I'm kind of caught by surprise that I'm just kind of involved in how the people around me are feeling. And, and yeah. it, it's almost like when I become invisible. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, totally like not there. I'm just like at the service of like, you feel a particular way and I'm either trying to help you not feel that way or I'm trying to help you feel more that way. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I have nothing on stage but purpose. And, and that's where it's like, mm. that's where the not thinking thing comes in. I don't need to think about anything. It's just, I'm, I have total purpose. I have a reason to be here right now and you're my reason to be here right now. Yeah. It feels so good to have that purpose. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. It's like when that's like those, those like glimmers of um, like outside influence when you feel like totally out of control, like not not out of control. Like I'm wild and I'm swinging and cr crashing gra glasses yeah. and breaking people's stuff, but like you're sort of like synced up to the point where your brain is only right at the level of your body and you you're not controlling it. You feel um, wow, this thought bubbled up from my stomach mm -hmm. and came out of my mouth before I even registered mm -hmm. what it meant and it, and it was out there and it was perfect mm -hmm. and it felt so right. 
that's like out of control. The first kind of out of control that you're talking about to me demonstrates a lack of faith. And the second type demonstrates a certain kind of faith because there's something about like, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be spontaneous. I'm going to be out of control. I'm not going to have limits. Mm. And you start acting up. And to me, all that means is like, you don't really have faith in what happens if you don't know the next thing to do. And so you're going to kind of like create this behavior of somebody who's totally free and uninhibited. You might be context because a person who's out of control in that first way can be the most entertaining sometimes. Yeah. But just not maybe this time. Maybe not. <laughs> do you have, do you have a performance in mind that could help to illustrate that? The, that feeling of like, being like a glove that a hand has fit into. Yeah. Well, I guess like the image that comes to my mind when you're describing that out of control person is like, Oh, the first, number one, number one, we need to say this. Yeah. Number one, number, number one, two. number two, and we're talking about number one, number two for me is somebody who's totally conscious, like, and, and, yeah. and, and you feel it because you feel their presence. You feel yeah. that they're with it and they're with you, but they just kind of don't know the next moment and they're not sweating it. And, exactly. and impulses are coming from somewhere in them that they didn't anticipate, but they follow them and then something wonderful happens. Well, I, yeah. Okay. So I guess I'd say the difference between one and two is the listening. Yeah. Okay. The first one's not, they not, they don't care what happens. They're going to continue. It's like a hurricane that's just going to blow right through yeah. and it's going to attack what's in its path yes. and do the damage that it wants to do. I mean, if it's a violent kind of out of control or, you know, there's other colors to it. It doesn't only have to be big and aggressive. It could yeah. be uh, like, closed off mm-hmm. kind of out of control I'm not I can't control the fact that I'm like uh, that I'm shunning you or pushing you out mm-hmm. and I just keep doing that I'm not listening yeah um, and not listening to yourself either mm-hmm. it's it, it it's interesting because when you're not listening to other people a lot of times you're not listening to yourself either yeah you're not really checked into your responses to stuff you're 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 trying to paint in the correct colors of how you should be behaving or feeling if that makes yeah. sense mm-hmm like the type number one, I'm thinking of like a particular type of student who I've encountered in class a few times who like you're in the middle of a scene and they get really close to like actually hitting somebody and then you stop them and their justification is, I'm so sorry, I was just, I'm Meisner trained mm. and, and I'm so in the moment that I didn't realize I was going to hurt this person. And to me, it's like, you're not conscious, you're not aware, you're not present right now. You're, you're, you're acting with a capital A in quotations you know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't believe that your Meisner training is responsible for that. <laughs> I think that you right now in this moment don't have faith th- that if you let go and pay attention yeah, and I choose mean, to care, something wonderful might happen. Yeah. Yeah. And something terrible might happen something if you punch someone in the face. Yes. But I, I mean, for anyone who is in, who's listening to this podcast and you're out of control, number one right now. Um, I think you're halfway there. I think like, like that's good to, to feel that kind of freedom and then just like be there and remember to like turn on your ears yeah, or your eyes. Yeah. Um, cause I do like, I love, there's a, that, that, that sense of danger to be, I mean, I don't want anyone getting close to punching anyone, but being like, awake and alert and alive which both of these these uh kind of humors that we're talking about are that but they're both in my book better than uh baseline yes it's like be alive be doing something be like in this world as long as you're not like 
staring off into space and, and cut off. Right. Vacant. It's, it's good to be active. You're alive right now. Yeah. And uh, life is good to be doing, I guess. Well, it's interesting because, like, part of the fun of, of improv, I guess it's true of any art that you want to talk about. It's probably true of sports, too. But our frame of reference is improv. Mm-hmm. Is you live in that kind of contradictory place of being free and limited of being in control and out of control of being conscious and spontaneous. Mm -hmm. It, it it, like, it's hard to describe exactly what happens when you feel that flow because the feeling itself is something that's sort of contradictory. It it kind of goes beyond just your concept of what to do. That's why it, you can't just come up with a formula of something and then you follow that formula all the time and you always improvise perfectly. Yeah. You're led to this moment that you're in that moment. There's kind of the life of that moment is leading you forward. Yeah, I like that idea of, like, um, noticing in the moment, like, I'm, uh, there's, like, a limit at every, every if you're completely free, you're, like, doing the thing you're doing, but then you're also noticing, like, the limit to that and wanting to expand beyond that. That's yeah. great. Because yeah. that's, like, that feels like a ladder where you're, like, constantly in motion, you're constantly climbing, you're constantly recognizing the outermost limit to what you're doing and finding a new way to take that next step. Mm-hmm. And that's that's progress. That's like the flow. Yeah. That's great. I like that. The, the danger that you're talking about, because like you never want danger to be actual physical danger. No. And it's interesting because like, I think about this a lot, this idea of like, you have to reassure an audience. People have to feel safe. This is, you, you laughed at me in class one time because I, I quoted this from myself from another class because I, so imp- I was so impressed with the way I phrased this. But. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I'm spoiled because I've taken a lot of those classes. So yeah. I, maybe the things that you repeat are, are not lost on me. But you've, you've heard all this shit before. But I like it. The, the basic idea that like we're going to be putting some of these characters through hell. We're going to be doing mm. some terrible things to these people that we're creating. And so first, it's really important that the audience feels safe yeah. so that they don't have to worry. You know, you don't cross that line and make people feel really nervous, you know, that something offensive or horrible or violent is going to happen. Oh, yeah. But it's an interesting thing. It's another one of those contradictory things because first you have to reassure an audience that everything is safe. This is all just pretend uh, um, and it's from a good place. And and, 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 and part of this, uh, to, to get really kind of um, artsy about it. Mm-hmm. Part of this is a kind of form of collective exorcism of our fears. Part of yeah. it is is we're collectively bringing some of our fears and some of our darker stuff to the center of the room so we can all laugh it away and, and, and not be so driven by it. And mm-hmm. part of it is a collective sort of celebration of that feeling of being electrical and being <laughs> made of meat that is, is animated. You know what I mean? Like yeah. And celebrating that animating thing that is moving our meat around and, and, and making us here and, and aware of it. And, and there's a, a kind of, I think, an act of gratitude to coming together to acknowledge it and experience it together. So, so you have to reinforce a sense of safety. But at the same time, when you go to see a show, you also want that like dangerous living. You want that spark of unpredictability. You don't want it to be... You don't want it to be dangerous, but you also don't want it to be um, neutral. And I think yeah. some of that, at least in like scenic improv, is like, for me, I want to sense the kind of third rail in the mind of the character that I'm watching. I want to sense like where the power of their personality is coming from and, and, and to not let it be too predictable. To, to, I want to see where their force is manifesting from, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And I want to, yeah, I guess I, and I do want things to be safe and the, as a, as a person who cares about people, I want everyone to be okay. But the excitement often comes from edging really close to that third rail, mm-hmm. ed- edging up really close to the edge of the, of the subway platform. And secretly as a team, we know that person's wearing a harness or we've got, we were somehow holding them back from actually falling. But that's, that's the excitement is getting close and it doesn't have to be physically dangerous. It could be something breathtakingly sensitive and beautiful. Yeah. And, um, but like, I remember I was in a play in high school once I was in Marat Saad. Um, and this is like a play that's a musical of inmates in an insane asylum who are putting on a product musical production about the French revolution between Jean Paul Marat, no, Jean um, Paul Sartre and Marat and uh, the Marquis de Sade, Marquis de Sade and, and Jean Paul Marat. Yeah, Marat. Yeah, 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 Marat. And so it's like back and forth between these two people as they're writing, but then like the ins- people are playing like all these different clowns and stuff. But the, uh, there's another level of it where they're all crazy. That doesn't matter. What happened was we had a raked stage, and at one point, me and a bunch of these other characters ran down to the edge to sing a piece, and I got to the edge of the stage. I was like right over an audience member and I almost fell. Like I ran down and I, my feet hit the tip of the stage and I was like, bal- my hands were out and I was like balancing and then I like settled back on my heels uh, and there was like a gasp from the people in front of me uh, but I didn't fall and that is great yeah. to me. I'm glad I didn't fall. Yeah. I didn't want, want to fall but I'm glad I got to the place where it was possible yeah. to fall. It's kind of the perfect image. It's really exciting now mm-hmm. too. And, and it breaks like there, you want to feel safe when you're watching something, but you also don't want to be just kind of like wrapped up in your own self set. Like it's good to have a moment where you're like yeah. shaken back into presence yeah. There, there, I mean, there is a thing with like live theater and really good live theater and really exciting good live improv and live comedy. There, there is not to harp on this. No, to, to harp on this idea, it, there, you're, you're reaffirming the sense of presence. I, yeah, I think yeah, as yeah. as thinking meat animals, and <laughs> and as animals that have the ability to conceptualize and to remember really well and to project futures and project scenarios, we spend a lot of time in our daydreams. We spend a lot of time in our own mental simulations of mm. of reality and and there is something i'm willing to bet that there's health benefits to it and psychological benefits to it but there's something about like we need to like touch back on presence and reaffirm our sense of collective energy and collective here and nowness because we're so good at being then and there uh, um that you kind of forget that like well the food that goes in your body goes in here and now Mm -hmm. and and in a good improv show, a good theater show. Um, like I'm all about the illusion of theater. I'm all about the magic of like a collective imagination awakening simultaneously. That's my jam. Yeah. And, and it totally is the merging of, of here and now and then and there come together in this one moment where, where I'm, I'm falling in love with these characters and I'm seeing these characters appear before my very eyes and my imagination is being tickled into being projected to another place and another time. 
but I'm also completely electrified by the presence of the actual human beings who are the kind of like lightning rods for these characters to appear. And it's that fusion of those two things overlapping on each other that make that experience so magical. Yeah. Let's talk about that, like the danger thing and like practical things that you can do to invite that sense to the table. Cause that's always something I'm really fascinated by. What are things that you do to try to make it more alive for yourself and more dangerous? Oh, well, well, I just started taking musical improv. I had my second, no, first, I had my second class tomorrow morning. Um, and so that's something that, like, I don't feel like I'm a singer. Yeah. But I love to start a scene singing. <laughs> I got really into this a couple months ago. I feel like I did it a lot. But that's good to do something a lot that you're really excited about. Um, I don't feel like a confident, I don't feel like a great singer. But it's so fun to be like, I'm just going to start a song see where this goes. I don't have a piano because it's regular improv, but like, let me just try. Let me just do take that risk and boom, like, whoa, I got to like figure out a way to make this song work. Um, or anytime when I see a team pick up a teammate, um, and like make them fly or like make, allow them to touch the ceiling or, um, I, I started a, a scene a couple weeks ago in the Hall of Mirrors, which you direct. Just like I decided, I just wanted to turn around and start walking backwards as just sort of like that thing of like trust falling to being like, I know I'll be catched. I mean, I'll be caught by this team. And I want to like feel that moment of insecurity and then get that moment of security because I trust these people. And yeah, that is like that of like, I'm scared. Yeah. Um, and hopefully my friends here will see that I'm scared and like be there. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I know. You initiated a scene one time in a blackout show that, um, I loved so much, um, just for the sheer, uh, um, out of the boxness of it. Cause the, the blackout is a show for anybody who has never seen it. Um, uh, where it's just individual scenes that don't relate to each other. And uh, it's just the lights slowly come on up and you find that you're in the middle of a scene and then the lights slowly fade down and in the fade, actors reset chairs and then more actors come on stage and then and the lights come up and they're in a totally different scene. And you initiated a scene one time with Phoebe. All the chairs were set kind of in a square around Phoebe tires and, and you initiated off on the back line as the narrator explaining that she woke up and her room was much, much smaller. And the whole scene was just you narrating Phoebe's experience. And part of what I love so much about it was the blackout is a very grounded kind of realistic show. Mm -hmm. It's very lifelike and you manage to play in a way that's very lifelike, but you're not afraid to, to kind of like make the boundaries of lifelike behavior way more elastic than I'm used to in that show. So there was something just automatically really exciting and unpredictable about that move. But, but it it created a reality that I wasn't used to in that show. And it was also totally a thing of like, there's an unspoken, um, trust in the way that you move on stage. You're almost like telegraphing to the other people on stage that it's just implied that they are going to help you see this through. (laughs) And it's really like exciting and it makes people, catch the ball you know like it it makes like they're there to pick you up the second you make that leap it's really exciting to see you do that of of like you play more often than not with this feeling like 
you assume somebody's going to be there to catch you and then you just jump with all of your might and all of your force you're totally committed to the choice that you make and and you see where it goes and it is like genuinely thrilling I'm addicted to that feeling, I guess. I hope I can do as good a job as I expect from other people. But yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah. Um, nothing feels as good as that. That's why I do it. Um, and I've been so lucky to have friends and groups of performers and teachers who are there. Um, so I get to continue to do that. Yeah, I think that's like really at the heart of what's so great about this program and about this art form is that it's like I can bring everything that I have and, and need and just ask for it. Yeah. Well, here's another thing too is is you are um you strike me as a very curious person. You have wide-ranging interests. And <laughs> I have a lot of questions. You yeah. have a lot of questions, and, and you're very good at engaging everybody around you. And, and so that, that's also part of it is like, part of it is just that you're an outstanding performer, and, and, and you play very beautifully, and, and you make really exciting choices. But part of it is Thank also you. that you, you keep yourself an extremely fascinating person. And so when you're on stage, it's not simply doing good improv it, it is it's almost like it's doing good improv as an excuse <laughs> maybe it, you found me out mate but I, that's like i don't think i can i don't think i'm capable of a higher compliment to somebody because wow. that's where it goes into like actual art and not just like really good comedy or really good craft Be, because like there is a thing of like yeah you can you can you can create just for the sake of creation or just for the sake of being really good at executing and the medium that you're creating in. But then there's that next level of people who aren't really that concerned anymore with like getting better at, at their tools. They're more concerned with using their tools to discover, I don't know, to find more pieces of that puzzle. So, so your brain is filled with stuff that you're very fascinated and curious about. And I think that that's a big part of it too, is, is you're not just a good improviser, but there's a full three dimensional human being behind your eyes all the time on stage, which also makes a difference. I was noticing on the train coming in, I was watching people on the train this morning and just noticing like watching what's going on behind their eyes was the most fascinating thing. And watching people deliberately not look at each other was so fascinating and watching where people like deliberate you know like yeah uh, uh, um how long they're holding a smile when somebody bumps into them and then and then where their eyes go afterwards it's like so fascinating and i love that on stage like for, for me personally you've heard me complain about this a lot it like for me a lot of improv actually gets in the way of the thing that i'm enjoying about a performance i get like annoyed when i see people do too much stuff on stage because if you give like just enough where i can start to tune into what's going on behind your eyes so often that to me is like, oh, great, we've just arrived at exactly what I want to watch. We've just arrived at that, that like ambiguous thing of getting to see the person who's up there now. And then I'll watch a bunch of like improv on top of that or a bunch of yes anding on top of that. That just makes me go like, oh, great. We have another, I'm sorry, I wrecked your car scene. It's like, I don't care about that car. I, that thing that you just did with your eyes, your eyes just looked on the ground for a second at something. And that was the most like, there's a thought behind that. I'm so curious about that thought. 
and you fill your brain with interesting stuff that you're interested in. What are you interested in these days? Great question. A couple of responses. One, yeah, um, I've always been very curious. Um, I remember a story about my grandmother. She would tell me when I was a teenager that as a kid I would always ask her uh, when she would come to visit us in Connecticut, my grandmother, Bertha May. She said, you'd always ask uh, me and your and grandfather, John, when are you leaving? Hmm. But I wasn't asking because I wanted them to leave. I was just like curious, what is the time parameters that I have to be with you? Um, and thank you for the compliment. That's very nice. I think what's interesting to me is is exactly that of like really seeing people, and uh, and that's why I, uh, I, I, I you are one of my favorite teachers that I've ever had, and it is this quality that you have in a classroom on the first day of class to bring people in and to like tell them you can be yourself here, and immediately on the first day so many of your classes it's like wow these people who were nervous 10 minutes ago are having fun with strangers in a way that is like so cool in a way that is like the best and that's what interests me but in terms of things that like cultural things that I'm interested in now I wanted to plug this short story, well, it's a medium-length story, that for me is um, like representative of what I think is important about improv and about performing and about human relationships. And it's called Silently and Very Fast. And I wrote down the author's. I wrote down the author's name on my hand, but I rubbed it off oh, no. over the length of this conversation. We but can name, Google it. Sorry, her name is Margaret. I'll, uh, um, Margaret Valero. Boom. And um, is that one L or two L's? I think it's V A L E R O. And that's silently and very fast. Yes. And basically, I read it in preparation uh, for coming to speak today. <laughs> Uh, because I, I, uh, it's all about, it's listed on a, a list of like the four best artificial intelligence short stories written on some website somewhere that has a picture of um, ex machina oh. at the top of the page. Because I've looked at this page so much because I've read these stories so many times. Um, another one is, is, um, is called Tomorrow is Waiting, which is about a Kermit the Frog robot that like gains consciousness. I read that with the group at the start of Object Work, which I hope I get to talk about later. But Silently and Very Fast is uh, it's a story from the perspective of an artificial intelligence who started her life as like a house monitor mm-hmm. and at some point was fused with the brain of one of the children in the house. So in a way, they became like one entity. And they communicate with each other in this uh, blank canvas cyber world that they populate together by physically changing what their body is. So, like recently, I read the scene where the little girl is showing her mother, who programmed the house, look, Mom, I have synced up and allowed like the technology of the house to enter my brain, and the mother is scared and nervous and uh, has like transformed her avatar into being like a knight in shining armor. And the, the girl has transformed her body to look like a businessman in the suit that she remembers her mother wearing when she came to 
pick up this daughter to take her away from the father's house. So she's like banking on memories from the past in order to visually show I am this thing that we both remember. I am this thing that we both have an agreed association with in this metaphor. And then the artificial intelligence steps out of the corner into the light and has sort of disguised itself as a old-fashioned, like, boxy robot with glowing eyes and, like, metal gears to show, like, I'm that thing that... I'm that human-created robot that we all remember. Um, and then the mother is, like, very upset and worried about her daughter. And the, and the, the artificial intelligence, like, shapeshifts into, like, a crying child with a skinned knee. So it's, like, the communication happens quicker than... Ascent, quicker than conversation, it happens at the level of moving and transforming into this thing um, because I want to communicate more quickly and more viscerally with you mm-hmm. on this level where we both share this empty space of conversation. So I recommend that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the first thing that speaks to me about that as you're describing it is the mom's fear and this change in her daughter. And and I've been thinking about this a lot recently too, for whatever reason. Uh, that like, I, I guess it's this thing of like looking for that, like coming together to kind of experience being alive together, and and and, and kind of like um, acknowledging that we're alive together. And and I, I guess there's like a little bit of like a religious sentiment to that as well of, of mm-hmm. sort of like worshiping the force of life. I, mm-hmm. I know that you put that into words and it sounds so lame, but like, I don't know it, it that, that, that we seem to be driven to do that. And, and, and kind of like recognizing that like life itself, whatever it is, we're just kind of made up of like raw materials that life uses and improvises with in order to find more means of self-expression and more means of transformation and more means of, of kind of creation. I don't know. And, and I, I don't know how many other people feel this way, but I certainly feel very afraid all the time. I, I like fear and anxiety is probably my foremost emotional life. Mm-hmm. And, and there is something of like, life life as a concept is a very scary thing because you know that on a certain level it doesn't really care about you it it just is about changing into new stuff and using the resources around you know whatever resources it can find to like build new things and there is something about that story that like we as human beings are smart enough i think to recognize that and we're smart enough to now build technology that like I, we're at like a turning point as a species. Mm-hmm. We're going to be fusing with our own technology pretty soon. We've already begun the fusion with our own technology, and and it's going to change a lot about the way that we perceive and the way that we behave and the way that we act. And there's something just very basically very like terrifying about that of like waking up one day and and not being sure if you're like a human being anymore. I don't know. That's what spoke to me about that story: having a person that you care for and that you love, and being very afraid. Yeah, it's real. Them. It's, yeah. You feel it in the moment, I mean, reading this story, but I recommend you read it, Lewis. Yeah. It's because um, it plays with that fear of having a child 
that's the whole idea is that like I as like the human character in the story, this little girl who decides to like plug in eventually and like merge herself with this unknown sort of unknown entity makes that choice to create something better. Yeah. And it's like, is that good or bad? And the story constantly comes back to these updated robotic artificial intelligence fairy tales. It's like peppered with them in between each real scene where the artificial intelligence is sort of like understanding her own origin and her own morals um, in this way of good or bad and who am I? I don't know who I am. Uh, and yeah, it plays with that ambiguity of like good or bad. It, 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 it is part of us. Mm-hmm. It is like, it is our, what we've created and can, is it our job or right or responsibility to hold it back, to restrain it and to keep it from progressing? Or if it does have the, the ability to, to continue, isn't that just like having a baby, a human baby who lives beyond you and puts you in a grave and then lives its beautiful life on its own? Reading the story makes me feel a lot less scared about the robot apocalypse. Yeah. I say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we have a very relatable artificial intelligence character to love in this case. It's all about perspective. Yeah. Anyway, let's. Uh, I'd love to talk about object work, please. Uh, which is a show that I'm directing that's going up at the theater in April on Thursday nights at ten o'clock as part of the director series. And this is a show that I have been working on, I think, since September or the end of August. And it was like a dream that came to me because I have this great friend, Kaylee Therian, who's a puppeteer, and her older brother, Joe, is also a puppeteer. They went to the Yukon Puppet Arts Program, which is an amazing program at Yukon, which is near where I grew up. Mm-hmm. My mom, uh, who was always taking us everywhere to see new things, uh, to took us frequently to the puppet museum to see these incredible pieces. And as a kid, I was very struck by puppetry and that was sort of the seed. And I think there's a lot of, you know, I love sci-fi. I love the occult. I love witches and all that stuff. And I think all that is very, and I love thinking about spiritualism and all that is very much tied to like activating objects and, and bringing uh, dead material to life, Mm -hmm. bringing inanimate things to like, perform because uh, that's what we are constantly doing we're constantly like eating and breathing to create life out of death out of you know like the world is a, inclined towards nothing and we are fighting the fight to keep it moving right as conscious people or whatever so I love that I love sort of expanding your terrain to be able to pick up a, a napkin on a table and have it dance. It's like an extension of your hand. You're reaching out further than who you are and what you are to make something happen. So thinking of that, um, I assembled a, an amazing group of diverse improvisers who I also really love and uh, told them that I wanted them to interact with a single object in um, as many ways as I could think of as possible over the course of uh, sort of an organically growing show. Would you be prescribing all the different ways for them, or it's on them to, to yeah. do that? Yeah, uh-huh. I slowly sort of, I mean, like, we started off, and I was like, experiment, I want to see what you do. 
and then I sort of like brought in new new ways of interacting. I would push like, I want you guys to really do some silent exploration, um, a dance where you're not talking. I want you to initiate scenes where, you know, Greg asks Catherine, would you please hold this bar of soap over my head and it will be you know, like the shower head. But, but seeing that on stage, seeing someone ask another person to hold it for them and then activating, it's almost like you're activating the person and the object that way. Mm-hmm. But like being sort of like the director of a scene in that way or they do sort of like in uh, Story Story, I have them do um, like personal monologues while holding the object. So like this reminds me of, you know, this uh, knife reminds me of like cutting vegetables and preparing soup with my mother, tell a story about that. Um, and then throughout the course of the show, they're always sort of like holding or using this object in in different ways. And it's edited by sort of like stepping in and taking it from someone and activating in a new way. And uh, it's just like a, a dream come true because it's a group of people who do not do the same thing. And like watch them sort of weave themselves together in a way that's like each one of them has a very specific talent. And uh, like you talk about uh, like the start Trek model of like multiple people working together with their own skills or like X-Men. It's like they have a really diverse set of skills that really blend seamlessly together and to be able to watch them grow and become friends and get really super comfortable with each other has been like, it's like been beyond words for me to watch that happen. Who's the cast? We've got Katie Berry, mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Wing, Annie Moore, uh, Greg Zahentner, uh, Kimana Decker, um, Colin Batten, Nikita Burdain, and Justin Anderson. Oh, and Nolan Constantino. Mm-hmm. That makes nine. These are wonderful people. Yeah. Is, the best. I have a couple of questions uh, about your process of work as a director. Yeah. For, first, for the form itself, is there like are scenes related to each other, or or is it simply following the transformation of an object into the many different things, the many possibilities that it can be? I'm, I I want them to follow. Yeah. I want them to sort of be at the whim of what happens, and I think naturally them all being very talented and skilled improvisers can't help but bring it back to some kind of repetition sort of like second beats third beats connections which they all know so well but I don't have to coach that part of it I feel like I'm coaching the part of it that's like try a new thing here don't rely on what you've already done surprise yourself or um, even up until the last moment of the show I really want to see new new steps um and it's hard i think getting improvisers who are very verbal and wordy to be silent is fun yeah on the flip side getting improvisers who are very quiet and patient to be active and and, uh and rambunctious is also really fun so i feel like i've gotten to do both of those things mainly i just want to push them to do what they're not comfortable doing Mm mm-hmm and then sit back and enjoy. There's an art to that. I, I've I've had coaches who, who their attitude as a coach seems to be to identify what you do and then just ask you to do the opposite of that. And mm. and I've found I have found that to kind of fall flat and and to be a kind of lazy coaching. 
Oh, yeah. I, I don't find it very thoughtful. It's just kind of like filling in the blank almost. And and you can really create a panic in somebody. Like if somebody's a very quiet, thoughtful player and you're just forcing them to play like a coked up maniac, instead of getting like a really, instead of unlocking something very powerful inside them or surprising mm-hmm. them or elating them, you, you can actually like really make them start second guessing themselves and then even the thing that they do very well, they're no longer comfortable with. There's a real art in, in leading people off their own map. Yeah. You, you almost, I think, and tell me if you disagree with this, Mm -hmm. you almost have to kind of misdirect people and have them not be aware that you're leading them off of their map. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I've done that. I think, I'm a lot. I, I think I feel like I coach the group a lot less um, individually than as a as a group. Yeah. Um, I very rarely I feel like give specific individual feedback. I'm more like, hey, I'm looking for more of this thing from you. Yeah. And I'm excited about you know these things that happened. Um, yeah, I don't feel like I, I would ever want to say like, don't do what you do. Mm-hmm. Do this other thing. That's not a way to practice i feel like i want i want you to do 90 percent of that thing that you knock out of the park yeah and then 10 percent of the time have an accident make take a risk scare yourself and um and uh, see that you can do that that's the most exciting part about directing yeah um a little bit of it is the problem solving of like how to, how to go about accomplishing the end that you have in mind and, and and how to go about communicating with people in a way where you make them comfortable to have those accidents. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the difference between teaching and and directing because in teaching you're trying to communicate a certain technique and a certain vocabulary and you're trying to, to, yeah. to let pe- give people the skills to work together and, and to, and to build. Mm-hmm. And, and what you, what you gain in that is enhanced competence and, and the ability for, for a group of relative strangers to actually make something that's like fairly sophisticated and interesting and thoughtful and funny. But what you lose in it is some of that spirit that you see in early level classes of that like raw at any moment this could go so far off the rails you don't know what's happening and so you're just watching people literally take the very next step and have that beautiful look in their eyes of like yeah. ah, ha, ha, ha. you like feel like the buzzing there's like a static electricity coming off of them of just like, ah, uh, uh, and the next word of their mouth is, is so funny. And, yeah. and, and the next thing they do is so funny. And I, as a director, I kind of feel like part of your job is to, now that people have technique to, to both communicate confidence in their technique and reassurance that like, you're already bringing everything. You're already so good. And, and, and like, it's not my job to get in there and undo anything or teach you. My job is not to teach you shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then part of it is to, I find, safely make people feel so safe that they want accidents to start happening. Yeah. That's kind of how I think about it. It yeah. is like, I can't force you to make an accident. And, and my own directing kind of falls short when I start getting like critical of people. I'm, I'm always nervous when people ask me for like direct criticism because 
I always feel like there's a broken connection between us when I offer direct criticism. I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't feel right coming out of my mouth. And I feel like it does, it clouds something of our relationship together. So rather than do that, I much prefer to, to focus on trying to make a room feel so safe and so pleasant yeah. that you want, you're looking forward to accidents happening because that's where that excitement is going to come back in of like, ah, uh, 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 and it's like, it's, the danger comes back. The, the, the life comes back into it. There's like blood flowing again. I don't know. That's where my head is at on that stuff. Yeah, I think I'm there too. I uh, I know that there are people who desperately crave a h- very hard response. Yeah. Whether it's like this was good or this was this needed improvement. Yeah. People who like really hunger for that. And there are people who are really good at giving those responses too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I I think I I'm more the uh, more your style in that like I love. Um, as much as I can, I want to just celebrate what's really good yeah, um, and make it be a safe and open space to do whatever you want. I, yeah, I, I don't think one approach is better than another approach. I think that the different directors have different things that they're really great at. And, and there are mm-hmm. some directors who can just cut through the bullshit and tell it like it is in a way that makes you feel that electricity and makes you feel that kick in the ass and makes you want to get up and try it. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like, especially with a lot of the teachers and you know, coaches at the Magnet, is that while most of the, the feedback is generally like very supportive and positive, um, if I'm listening and I'm looking for it, I can sort of glean out what was not mentioned or mm-hmm. what was like not there. And mm-hmm. I sort of know, okay, well, maybe that's an area to improve upon. Mm-hmm. It just depends on whether I think you're like positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement oriented. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it, it, it it's got to come like authentically from you somehow. I don't know a better way to put it than that. But it, yeah, it, the way that you approach another person, or the way that you approach a show, and 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 the way that you invite people to take risks and to be more bold and and to be more open. It's just got to come from a very authentic place in you. And I don't know why, but when I get critical, all I can say is it feels like a broken connection. It's like what I'm saying, I believe, is is spot on. But I I now feel like we're not... I don't know. I just... I like to avoid it. I always try to to say, this is me. Yeah. I'm one person. This is my response if I have something critical to say. Yeah. Um, You know, like, I'm coming at it with everything that I believe and have experienced and it's not the, it's not the truth yeah it's just one take but then of course if i'm praising someone i say this is the expansive truth yeah that you were wonderful yeah so i don't know um i have tried to make it a habit for the last 10 years to practice praising people and to practice being really considerate about what I love about them and what they're doing so well and not as a way to just be positive but because I feel like it expands my ability to think better I believe I, yeah. per- I perceive more things and I enjoy more things and I'm trying to cultivate a better aesthetic sense in myself I'm not the most aesthetically sensitive person <laughs> in the world I'm kind of like rough around the edges I think but I, I believe to articulate, to, to, to notice and articulate what is so unique in a person's performance. 
<laughs> yeah. It's a very beneficial thing to do. It, it all comes down to that choice of what you want to dig for. Yeah. My dad always used to tell the story when we were kids about these, this experiment that happened. Stop me if you know this one. I don't think I do. <laughs> where it's kind of a joke where these two girls are, one is always very, very happy and one is always very, very sad. And there's these like psychologists who does experiments on people, mm-hmm. Psychi- psychologists, doctors mm-hmm. decide they want to like make the happy one sad and the sad one happy as an experiment. So they put the sad one in a room full of toys, big warehouse full of toys and the happy one in a room full of manure. And, uh, first they, they leave them there for like a whole day and they come back and they say to the, they are going to go check out the sad one first to see like, Oh, she's definitely got to be happy now that she has all these toys, everything she could imagine. And they, open the door and go into the room and all the toys are broken and she's crying again and she's miserable and she says they're all broken I'm so sad and they like take a breath these doctors and they say okay well this one failed but at least the, the happy girl now must be miserable in that room full of manure so they go into the room and they open the door and she's in there with a, a pitchfork flinging the shit over her shoulder and saying with all this manure in here there's got to be a pony somewhere <laughs> Uh, and we, I just heard that story so many times and that really for me represents the idea of like you dig for something good, keep digging and the experience of the digging will be, will be your happiness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Object work is Thursdays at 10, part of the director series in May at the magnet. Please go check it out. Yeah, please come. Um, people can also see you perform on Mondays on sketch night with the executives. Yes. The executives will have a show coming up in a couple of weeks. That's been a really fun team that I got added to this season, which yes. I love. Um, and we have two more shows for hall of mirrors, the show that you direct on Thursday nights for this month, It'll March probably be over by time. This podcast goes up, but oh. maybe not. If not, please come check it out. It's a cool show. I oh, dig yeah. it. We'll go back in time. Yeah see that um and then i have this new team on megawatt uh, which we don't have a name yet new yeah. team sparta but congratulations wonderful group of people who i really love and i'm excited to get to know better yeah, yeah. I, I have one more question before we round out uh, yeah. I, all those things please go on the website and check out charlie nicholson uh, uh if you don't know charlie already and haven't seen him perform then what is wrong with you i don't know <laughs> i don't know what your problem is but you're you're missing out um uh uh y- if maybe this is like putting you too much on the spot, but never are there like, um, what are like works? I'm always like so fascinated to hear, uh, uh, the stuff that fascinates you. Are, are there like a couple of works that have like meant more than others to you? Stuff that like made a, a big impact on, on like your artistic ambitions or just your, your, your human ambitions or I don't know, like what are works that have spoken to you really, really meaningfully? That's a good question. Did you hear that before? I was this is my mustache on yeah, the it's cool microphone. Sound. This I is was, my my mustache on the mic. <laughs> Mine is softer than yours. I was getting close. Yeah. Okay. So works that I really love. Um, well, my favorite movie I always say is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Going back to that ambiguity, what an ambiguous movie. Is it a good thing that? Well, I don't want to give away the end, but is the end good or is the end sad? Right. I think it's sad. I think it's happy. You could watch that a million times and it will always be different, I found. I love Harold and Maude. Mm. 
check that out. Um, I love The Fountain, which is a very divisive movie by Darren Aronofsky, mm. but I find to be basically a religious experience. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. All right, your homework for tonight is to see that movie. I have strong opinions about Darren Aronofsky based solely on... Uh, Noah? No, Requiem for a... For a Working for a dream. I also find that movie brilliantly beautiful. Yeah, I would argue with you on that one, but for another time in another place. Sure. I would just say, uh, if you look at it as, as the hero's journey, where the hero is addiction, mm-hmm. I thought that was a beautiful... I'm going to stop talking about it. I can oh, see your face. Oh, that's very interesting. No, that's, I have not considered that. That's very interesting. Yeah. My, uh, my argument against the movie would be I resented the way that it set people up to knock them down. I felt that it was a movie yeah. that had its point predetermined and then it created characters only to prove that point. I found it, mm-hmm. I found it mean and, and inhuman. Yeah. But to treat addiction as the hero, I would give it a second chance to consider yeah. that. I think he's so good. And the, the Clint, Clint Mansell music from his movies is beautiful. I listen to that a lot. Yeah. Um, books to read uh, Specimen Days by Michael Cunningham is my favorite book it's uh, he wrote The Hours and Home at the End of the World he's a gay um, author who I really 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 love um, and this book um, Specimen Days is like three novellas in this novel it's like one two three the first one is um an industrial age ghost story. The second one is a modern day terrorist crime thriller. And the future is an alien love story. Uh, but there are repetitions. It's like a, it's like a herald. There are repet, except it's only three first beats repetitions throughout the entire book in these novellas where the, the three main characters always have the same three names. So it sort of plays with that relationship mm-hmm. and there's similarities between those characters, but of course they're different in each section and they look different um and then like specific important like objects or uh like things or names repeat throughout the entire book especially walt whitman's poetry is a huge centerpiece of the entire work which on its own is just so beautiful Mm -hmm. uh but in this book is just so wonderful okay yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff about like leaves of grass and like returning to the earth and being connected, being, you know, like every atom that is part of me just as much belongs to you is sort of like warped and twisted in different ways in each of the three sections that like amplifies it, the meaning rather than confusing it mm-hmm. by like sort of looking at it through a different light. So I love that. And uh, anything else that I'd recommend? I mean, I always something new. Please come speak to me. I work uh, currently. I work in the Magnet Training Center office on on Saturday and Sunday nights, and I'm happy to talk about whatever is the most current uh, image or thought running through my brain. Um, I'm always looking for recommendations as well. Um, Definitely come talk to Charlie. You will not regret it. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing, Megan uh, uh, will be happy that I asked. In your opinion, Sharon Needles or Alaska? 
Oh gosh, we're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, we're in the middle of season eight right now. I'm, I'm a season behind you right now. Okay, we'll catch up. But for everybody else, uh, yeah, get to see it all to really know what we're talking about here. But um, I love them all. It's yeah. like these wonderful personalities. It's a great show that showcases the multifaceted talent of so many artists to be able to create a character, paint the face of that character, create the clothes, model them on the runway, sing, dance, act, be a comedian, and then do crazy things like, I don't know, what have they done recently? They make puppets and they do these mini challenges that are just off the wall. They have to be really good at doing a lot of different things and and having to figure it out quickly. Yeah, so I love that show. I really, really love that show. That's that's, I recommend that. I've learned... A shitload about performance and presence watching yeah. that show. A shitload. And they're all, they all have to improvise. They yeah. all have to constantly sort of be on their toes, be ready to be funny. Yeah. But then RuPaul and Michelle Visage are always looking for vulnerability and honesty. It's like you walk down that runway, you need to be everything. Yeah. And they say, like, you were everything. Yeah. You have to be everything. But between those two, I love them both dearly. Um, I only asked because I was originally like, oh, Sharon Needles. I wasn't crazy about Alaska at first, and then over time I was like, but Alaska. She has gone on since uh, season, what was it, season five, to be one of the most popular. Yeah, not surprisingly. All the queens. Yeah, she's, she's great. If you want to learn a lot about performing arts, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag Race is a very good place to go. I will also say this, since I started watching the show, RuPaul has climbed to the short list of... of uh, like hero figures for me. Oh yeah, he I, is, I am endlessly geez. fascinated by RuPaul. Oh God, I, and you know I love the music. That's my recommendation. If you don't know about RuPaul's discography, disc, 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 discography. Is it discography? It sounds weird, but discography, discography, discography. Yeah, listen to the music. Uh, he just had an album come out with this recent season. I think he's had an album come out with every single season yeah. since like two or maybe even one gone through like hip hop like you know, like 80s retro pop to like there's even like a country song on one of his albums and like on the one hand there's like a shallowness maybe to it or like a simplicity because he it's a lot of like house music where it's like repetition and like it's a platitude sort of like an empty mm-hmm. saying where he says like everybody needs love and everybody wants to be happy but on the other side of that Everybody does. Um, and I listened to that music. A lot. I've definitely singled out RuPaul as my like running music or workout music and listen to those songs while I'm experiencing a runner's high. And I feel like, yeah, everybody really wants, everybody wants love and we want to feel good and look good and be great at what we do. And just like RuPaul says, you got to work for it. But that, like that work Makes makes you happy because you're you have a goal in mind. So listen, Charlie Nicholson. I could talk to you all day, my friend. Me thank too. you for being here. This was wonderful. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thanks to our producer Evan Ford Barden, currently not in the room. Thank you to Grant Michael Goldberg, our engineer. Thank you to our executive producer Ed Herbsman, and thank you to all of you kind people for listening to this podcast. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. We sure do appreciate it. My guest today, once again, has been Charlie Nicholson. Please come check Charlie out. He is a genius. Uh, uh, you will not be you will not be disappointed thanks again Charlie thank you have a great day you too bye everyone (laughs) bye Bye. (laughs) bye
You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.